You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're going to love Bar Down Breakdown, a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, 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 you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought of like, well, maybe we should wear a Montreal jersey. Then the NHL was like, mm, I think you should stay neutral. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche and brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs. And folks, today is a very, very good day. You know why today is a very good day? It's because we are less than 24 hours removed from the Americans defeating the Canadians in the gold medal game of the World Juniors and being crowned World Junior Hockey Champions in 2021, their fourth time beating the Canadians in a gold medal game, fourth time in a row, actually, and their third gold medal in the last nine years. You know, for such a Canadian sport, seems like Americans have had very little problem knocking off those Canadians up north in those gold medal games. 2010, 2017, and now 2021. And would you know it, all three of those games took place in Canada. So I'm not gonna jump right off the bat and say something so crazy as to um, America is better at hockey than Canada. However, the recent track record suggests that maybe there might be something to that claim. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But when you beat a team four consecutive times in the biggest game of the tournament, the gold medal game, and you do it every single time on their home ice, is there, is there something to that claim? Maybe, maybe, just maybe it's our sport? <clears throat> I didn't say anything, you know, whatever. Americans, gold medal winners at the World Juniors. What a fantastic tournament that was, and what a treat it was to watch these last two days as Canada took down Russia 5 to nothing, and the Americans had a nail-biter against Finland the day before, winning that one 4-3, and then seeing those two rivals meet in the final. Score might not show it, but that was a very, very fun hockey game to watch and a very, very fun hockey game to win, especially on the American side. I want to start off the show talking a bit about the World Juniors and talking mainly about the Americans winning the gold medal last night. If you are Canadian, this is your warning to turn back now because might be ribbing them a little bit, and by ribbing, I mean making fun of them for probably most of this discussion. So you have been warned. So, last night, the Americans, 2 nothing winners over the scary, scary Canadians. 
Everyone coming into this game is, oh, it's the Americans are going to get crushed. This is one of the best Canadian teams we've ever seen. They haven't given up a five-on-five goal all tournament. They haven't trailed all tournament. The Americans, they have no chance. Canada was going to get their revenge for the last two gold medal games. What do you know? It didn't happen that way, did it? The Americans pull off the the upset, the upset, you know, and knock off the Canadians two to nothing. Canadians give up a five-on-five goal. They trail for the first time, and they do not score a goal for the entire game. Spencer Knight, Florida Panthers prospect goalie, stands on his head and shuts down Canada all the way. Now... Let's not rip on Canada entirely yet. It was tough to see Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook upset with the result last night, and Bowen Byram was phenomenal in this tournament. And even last night against the USA, he hit a post on a shorthanded chance that could have brought Canada within one, probably the best scoring chance Canada had all game. And Byram was named Canada's best player and was named to the World Junior Media All-Star team. He is a very special player, and good news, Avs fans, he is on his way to Colorado as we speak. He will be joining the team as soon as he is able, but he will have to quarantine first for a week. He will not be with the team during training camp, and he will not be available for the season opener a week from today as I am recording, but by the time you are listening to this, six days until the home opener, but Bowen Byram will not be able to join the team until likely later in the week. Maybe maybe not against St. Louis, but maybe the next set of games after them, which would be on the 19th against the Los Angeles Kings on the road. But Byram finishes the tournament with a goal and four assists in seven games and almost certainly the best defender in the tournament. I mean, obviously some room for debate there. At bare minimum, the best defenseman for Canada and definitely turns some heads in the Avalanche organization that maybe this kid needs to be playing right now if we're going for a Stanley Cup right now. And... He got, he got a lot of attention, especially that he's an Avs prospect because a lot of people around the league are like, really? The Avalanche have this kid. Are you serious? He's going to play with McCarr and McKinnon and Rantanen and that stacked team. They have a top prospect like Byram. So now people are also waking up to the fact that the Avalanche are not just stacked right now. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. They're going to be sticking around this top contender status for a while. And that also extends to Alex Newhook, who had a very solid tournament for Canada as well, despite dealing with a few injuries during the tournament. But he won't be joining the team right away quite yet. He's not on the training camp roster. He most likely will be going back to Boston College. His tournament results, six games, three goals, three assists, six points, two penalty minutes. A very, very solid tournament for a very solid player. He will be going back to college to play for Boston College this upcoming season in the NCAA. And maybe next season we'll start to see chatter around Newhook maybe joining the team if there are some roster openings. But Again, like I've said before, this Avalanche team is very stacked. I don't think there's much need to really rush him over quite yet. Maybe one day, but not yet. He is a center. The Avalanche, they're still fine on centers for the moment. They still have McKinnon and Kadri and Belmar and Kompfer and really anything they need for the moment. Belmar's contract will expire after this season and with upcoming salary cap issues might just be better for both sides to move on. Belmar's 35 now. 
He'd be 36 next season. So maybe you can see Alex Newhook step in next season in a depth center role just to get some NHL experience. Maybe for, maybe like what we can expect from Byram this season, but maybe not to the same extent since Byram's probably going to be sticking around as much as he can. Most likely next season, and maybe this season if there's injuries or something like that, you can see Newhook start to step in and get some NHL experience because he's not he's not a Byram level prospect but definitely still a prospect to definitely watch in the future because he's still very 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 good and just for everyone who doesn't remember Alex Newhook was the pick for the Avalanche after Bowen Byram in the 2019 draft we did draft Byram at fourth overall that season, and then with the Avalanche's own pick, they drafted Newhook at 16. So that's Byram at four in the same draft, and then Newhook 12 picks later at 16. But you know what my favorite part is? Is that the Avalanche prospect list at the World Juniors in the gold medal game alone does not end at Byram and Newhook because they have two more players that played in that game, one for Team Canada and one for Team USA. The other one for Team Canada, the Avalanche's most recent first-round pick, Justin Barron, 19 years old. The Avalanche picked him at 25th overall in the most recent draft. Justin Barron, seven games, two assists. Didn't get any honors for his performances, but still a very valuable part of that stacked Canadian team. And... It's unfair to compare him to Bowen Byram. I mean, Bowen Byram is a very special defenseman that was picked very high in a stack draft. Justin Barron, 25th overall pick, like I just mentioned. He's been dealing with some injury and health issues, but he got a lot better as the tournament progressed for Canada. Started playing much bigger minutes and was a big part of that Canadian defense, even if he didn't get the recognition of Bowen Byram. I mean, it's hard to because there's only one Bowen Byram, but he was a he was a big reason why Canada got three shutouts during the tournament and why solid teams like Russia weren't able to get many scoring chances on Canada at all. So obviously not the same tier as Byram, not at all an insult to Baron. He was a very fine player and will find his way hopefully into the NHL someday, but as of right now, he'll likely head back to the Halifax Mooseheads to the QMJHL where he has currently played eight games and has seven points so far and also the captain of the team and that's it for the Canadians for the Avalanche but that doesn't mean that we had to root for Canada in this game because the Avalanche have an American who brought home the gold medal last night and that would be Drew Hellison. Drew Hellison, defenseman for Team USA, a second-round pick for the Avalanche in 2019, the same draft as Byram and Newhook. And he had a very, very solid tournament for Team USA. Came into the tournament tasked with a shutdown role, and he succeeded in that to a T, but he also contributed in the scoring as well with two goals and two assists in seven games throughout the tournament putting up an assist in the gold medal game against Canada and being one of the reasons that they were able to get a shutout against Canada and even get to Canada in the first place. Hellison played with Jake Sanderson for most of the tournament, and Jake Sanderson obviously being the fifth overall pick in this most recent draft for the Ottawa Senators, one of the big staples of that American defense. Hellison was his partner, so Yet again, another very solid defenseman in the Avalanche's system that has a very good shot at being an NHL contributor. He's not Bowen Byram, obviously. I'm going to say that about everyone because there's no Bowen Byram. He's Hellison is much more of a defensive defenseman and just a very smart player, but very solid defenseman, doesn't really make a ton of mistakes, and just very good at shutting down the other team. And the fact that he was able to score two goals in this tournament was just icing on top. And if his play in this tournament is any indication of how he might look in the NHL, I mean, it's always hard to tell with the World Juniors because they're always playing against 
other juniors. Who knows how his game would translate to the NHL, but just basing it on what we've seen so far, all signs point to Hellison being able to come to the NHL eventually. Maybe not this season. I would be stunned for a 19-year-old second-round pick while he's still in college. Maybe not next season either, but again, no rush. Avalanche's prospect pool seems just as stacked as their current roster right now. So, in all in all truthfulness, I wouldn't be surprised if Hellison plays his first game for another NHL team. If you have a prospect pool this deep and your Stanley Cup window opens this season and you have the chance to improve your team, a guy like Hellison is the kind of guy that would be packaged in a deal for a rental or another player like that just as a part of a package with maybe a first-round pick to entice a team in a rebuild to give up one of their better players. And I'm only saying that just because of how deep the Avalanche's prospect pool is. I mean, they have Byram coming up already, and they have Makar already making a difference as young as he is already. And they still have Sam Girard at just 22 years old, Connor Timmons at just 22 years old, and Hellison doesn't have a contract yet. Not, not guaranteeing that he's going to be traded, but when you have a pool this deep, it is a move that would, at some point down the line, make sense when you have a guy in your prospect pool that's maybe third on just your defense. But if Hellison does play for the Avalanche in the future, he's almost certainly going to be a very good NHL player. The Avalanche just... I say it I say it every show the Avalanche are stacked. They are stacked in every sense of the word. They have prospects, they have a stacked NHL roster. There's they're just the envy of the league right now. And man, 6 days until the season finally gets started and I can just stop saying how good they are and we can just finally see how good they actually are. I can't wait. But I did want to get back to the World Juniors just in case any Canadians felt comfortable because we got, so- we got something to talk about, guys. And that is the amount of smack that was talked leading into this gold medal game about how the USA really had no chance that this was one of the best Canadian teams ever put together in the World Juniors and one of the best World Junior teams of all time which I'm sure is true. It is a very, very good team. But I saw predictions like, oh, Canada might win this 10 to 1, or, oh, America, they usually play us pretty close. How about like a a 5-2 game? And then the Americans took the lead, and you could see some sweat start to drip onto Twitter. And then early in the second, it was 2-0. And then the excuses began already that the Canadians didn't have Alexi Lafreniere and that Kirby Doc was injured in the exhibition game and that if they were healthy, this game wouldn't be close. Need I remind you that the USA did not have Jack Hughes, Nick Robertson, or Thomas Bordalo in this tournament. So missing players is hardly an excuse right now. And to complain that Alexi Lafreniere did not play in this tournament is crazy because the fact that Alexi Lafreniere and Kirby Doc are used in the same sentence proves why Lafreniere did not play in this tournament because Kirby Doc is going to miss probably the entire season for the Blackhawks because he shattered his wrist in an exhibition game. And why would the Rangers want to risk that with their first overall pick. So I understand saying, oh, if we had Kirby Doc, maybe, but Alexi Lafreniere, that doesn't make any sense. The Rangers were never going to let him do that. The Devils didn't let Jack Hughes play. The Leafs did not let Nick Robertson play. Where was the outrage about that? Why would Lafreniere play in this tournament? It doesn't make any sense. And also... The barrel. Guys, what is the problem here with... For those of you that do not know what the barrel is, 
after the USA won last night and they got their gold medals and everything. And right when they took their team picture, one of the players went back into the locker room and brought out a blue barrel with the Canadian hockey logo taped on it. It's just a piece of paper and brought it out for the team picture. And right away, Canadian reporters jumped all over the report that the Americans had brought out a trash can with the Canadian hockey logo on it. Sacrilege. Just what a horrific display of classlessness from the arrogant Americans. But really, they had no idea what they were talking about because when they asked the Americans about it later, the coach said that they had a barrel like this for every team they played in this tournament because their motto for this tournament coming into it was one barrel at a time. So basically, just to catch you up on the full story, Ryan Rashog of TSN tweeted out a picture of his television captioned, USA posing for team picture with what appears to be a trash can with a Canada logo on it. And he had a video of the US bringing the can out for the team pick. And then only after, in the follow-up, did Rashog say, Speaking with U.S. staff, the team had a motto, one barrel at a time. This was their last barrel, and they've been putting team logos on them each game. That was the barrel for this game and the reason they brought it out. They say it wasn't a trash can. But still, people didn't believe it. So then, less than an hour later, Ryan Rashog posts a U.S. internal team newsletter with the story that the barrel idea derived from if you want to read it, you can go to Ryan Rishog's Twitter. It's a mouthful. But but basically, this sparked a national outrage among Canadian hockey fans about class. Talking about class in the game and just how classless this was. They, they love that word, by the way. Class. You see it every time the Americans beat them. It's always about class. So Someone always does something classless. Or, that, or I guess just winning against Canada is classless because it seems to me that Canada, just because they like hockey, they feel like they're owed every single gold medal, and there's always a reason as to why they don't win it every single year that they don't. Can I also just say how absurd it is to me that Canada ever loses hockey games ever? Like, how? How do you lose games? You have, like four major developmental leagues, four junior leagues, and yet you're losing 2 nothing to the United States in a gold medal game. Like the, the United States, like, hockey is like the fourth sport. And in Canada, obviously, it's kind of their thing. So I just don't understand how you can have the QMJHL, the OHL, the WHL, the CHL, and all those leagues and just... I don't understand how they ever lose. Like, obviously, this was one of the most stacked teams in history, but, like, how do you lose ever? This is your thing. How do you lose to a country where hockey's, like, our fourth or fifth most popular sport and, like, not even close to mainly to the top three? It just it doesn't compute to me how Canada ever ever loses and then also when they do lose they throw a bunch of fits all the time so it's just you can't win with Canada you either lose to them and they taunt you about what a superior country they are in hockey and just the capital of hockey across the world I mean which had they have a point but then when you beat them it's all about how the the team that beats them doesn't show enough class and it's a they're a disgrace to hockey like there's there's always some way that the team that beats Canada can be twisted into some kind of disgrace to hockey which is it's just it's just irritating now but in short America has once again beaten Canada in hockey even though I still can't really comprehend how that ever happens and 
based on how Canada takes losses, I don't really think they comprehend how it happens either. But regardless, USA 2, Canada 0, USA takes home the gold medal at the World Junior Championships 2021. Canada goes home with a silver medal, and that wraps up the World Juniors until next year. So now we can move on to the NHL and how the Avalanche training camp is going so far with the season beginning a week or six days from today. And some interesting development has begun to surface from the Avalanche's training camp, something that's flown a bit under the radar. No one's overly concerned yet, but if it continues certainly will be a problem coming up, and that is that five members of the Colorado Avalanche were deemed suddenly unfit to play during day one of training camp and are still being held out until today, and that is the extent of what we know besides who has not been on the ice and unfit to participate. Those players would be Captain Gabe Landeskog, Brandon Saad, who we just traded for, Eric Johnson, starting goalie Philip Grubauer, and Keaton Middleton. Now, obviously, the brain jumps to, well, they're being held out because they tested positive or they've come into contact with someone with COVID-19, and based on the fact that there is no explanation otherwise, it feels like a pretty safe bet to maybe suggest that these guys are undergoing quarantine or a positive test. I don't want to jump right to a positive test. There are plenty of other pandemic-related reasons why they would be deemed unfit to participate. Maybe it's quarantine like some other players have been reportedly dealing with, maybe contact tracing, but that is five players, four of them significant, with obviously Captain Landeskog, Brandon Saad, who's supposed to be making a big impact, veteran defenseman Eric Johnson, and starting goalie Philip Grubauer. And Jared Bednar, after the first day of training camp, says that he's not sure when they're going to be back or what the protocols are, but they're unfit to practice today. And for each continuing day of training camp, they have still been labeled unfit to play, all five players. No injuries have been reported. I'm sure if there was, we would have heard about at least one of them by now. I mean, we're not in the bubble anymore where you'd see someone take a puck to the face and they'd be uh, out with an undisclosed anything. They just wouldn't tell you what was wrong with anything just to... I mean, it was for medical privacy. Like, if you if they did have someone test positive, they didn't want to broadcast that to everyone. But it did it did get a little silly when it was like, okay, this guy just his leg twisted in a weird way and they won't tell us when they're coming back or what's the problem. But anyway, moving on. So same five unfit even in today's training camp and they weren't in the building either. So if it was injury related, that's a bit strange. So this makes me think that it may have a very good chance of being COVID related or quarantine related, something of that nature. I don't want to make assumptions like, oh, these guys have indeed tested positive. There could be plenty of other reasons. But outside of that, training camp has gone pretty run-of-the-mill so far. No one's taken a puck to the face or anything. No injuries, no significant line shifts other than the ones we talked about last episode with Taze moving up to Makar on the top pair and Burakovsky moving up with McKinnon and Rantanen, and hopefully in the near future, we can see Landeskog, Saad, Johnson, Grubauer, and Middleton back with the team, hopefully before the season opener, and hopefully with some time left in training camp so they can start to get their legs underneath them before the season begins, but we'll just have to wait and see at this point. And before we get into our rewind and around the NHL segment, I wanted to bring up Colin Wilson now that he's called it a career after 11 seasons in the NHL. 
Wilson spent the last three years with the Avalanche after being traded from Nashville in 2017. And last season, obviously very unfortunate for him, dealt with a lot of lower body injuries, only played a few games before undergoing surgery, and unfortunately did not come back on the ice even after the pause and the expanded playoffs pushing the season later than anyone would have ever imagined. Wilson did not step foot back on the ice after suffering an injury in practice and after not getting signed by anyone this offseason, decided to call it a career. So the 31-year-old, he was a seventh-round pick of the Nashville Predators in 2008, played for them for eight seasons and helped them advance to the 2017 Stanley Cup Final, which would be his last games with Nashville before he was traded to the Avalanche on July 1st, 2017, where he would play 130 games with the Avalanche, but unfortunately only nine last season before suffering the lower body injury I mentioned earlier, which required double hip surgery in December of 2019. Tough way to go. I mean, Colin Wilson, he was definitely a valuable contributor while he was a member of the Avalanche. Not the most flashy guy in the world, but the Avalanche were at their lowest point as a franchise when they acquired him. It was right after they had the worst season in salary cap era history and just needed to get themselves turned around somehow. They got Wilson, scored 18 points in 56 games, and I mean, nothing to really write home about, but it's the Avalanche did make the playoffs that season, and then 27 points in 65 games the season after, and then in the playoffs last year, four goals, four assists for eight points in 12 games. I mean, nothing to sneeze at. This guy, he Colin Wilson, was a very useful player for this team, and even with as much depth as the Avalanche have now, he is still going to be missed as a member of of the Avalanche, and I would have loved to have seen him play another game in the NHL again. I mean, like I said, that's a tough way to go. I mean, you get hurt in practice, you need double, double hip surgery in December, you miss the rest of the year, and then you get more shoulder surgery in October, and it's that's just a real, real tough way to end a, a very solid career for a very, very good depth player that really helped the Avalanche at a time that they needed it most. They were not in a good spot when they acquired Colin Wilson, and he might not have been the guy that turned it around, but he certainly played a part in it. And I wish him a very happy retirement, and I also wish him the very best in dealing with the OCD he recently opened up about in the Players' Tribune back in October and basically detailing how it affected his career and led to what he described as rock bottom with alcohol and pill abuse. And really, it's great to see how he describes his turnaround. He's completely sober now, and now he's going back to school in Boston to work on a psychology major. I think that's excellent. And I wish him a very happy retirement and just all the best because he deserves it. What a great player, what a great career, and definitely deserves all the props for all the things he accomplished during an 11-year run in the NHL. That's impressive. I mean, 11 years in the NHL. I mean, sure, he wasn't a star player, but 11 years in the NHL, 632 games. He was a seventh overall pick. That's impressive. I mean, Again, congratulations, Colin, on a fantastic career, and happy retirement, man. You deserve it. But moving on now, it's time to get into our Avs Rewind, where we take a look back at the Avalanche four years ago to the day when they were going through the worst season in the salary cap era. And we actually have something rare today. Four years ago, Today, January 6th, the Colorado Avalanche won a hockey game. 
They did. They won a hockey game. They beat the New York Islanders 2-1 to one and ended a five-game losing streak. Five-game losing streaks included losses to the Flames, the Canucks, the Rangers, the Stars, and the Flames, and dated back all the way to December 23rd when they had an identical win, 2-1 to win in overtime over the Chicago Blackhawks. And now, 2017, January 6th, the Colorado Avalanche beat the New York Islanders 2-1, to and unlike last time, we have goal scorers that we are familiar with. First goal of the game for the Avalanche went to Gabe Landeskog, assisted by two names that I think we also know very well, quite, quite well right now, Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. Avalanche would score that goal with six minutes into the game and would not score again until the closing stages of the first overtime when Nathan McKinnon scored his 10th goal of the season to end the game for the Avalanche on the power play and give the Avalanche their 13th win of the season, but also compared to their 25 losses and one overtime loss for a record of 13-25-1. Assists on the Nathan McKinnon goal went to Jerome Aginla and Tyson Berry. Very seemingly ancient names now, but as we mentioned, Aginla, not that long ago. I mean, these, these were his last few games as a member of the Avalanche, but they were a measly four years ago. And Tyson Berry, I mean, he used to be the the head of this defense before the emergences of Kale McCarr and Gerard and everybody else. Now he's he was traded to Toronto, obviously, as a part of the Nazem Kadri trade, along with Alex Kerfoot, and now he is signed in Edmonton. I mean, and looking back on that Barry trade now, it's it's hard to argue the Avalanche did anything but win that trade in a in a walk. It looked close at the time, like both teams were getting a good haul, and it was a very even trade, but time definitely disproved that. The Avalanche get Nazem Kadri, and they just they got his insane production last season and his amazing production in the playoffs while Barry was not a fit in Toronto. And while the Leafs still have Kerfoot to show for it after Barry walked in free agency, it's hard to compare Alex Kerfoot to Nazem Kadri right now. Let's keep in mind, this is a very rare positive abs rewind because after this, this sucks. I mean, we'll get into all of it individually, but we're not going to be talking about another win on this segment for a little while. And I mean that, a little while. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a minute before I say the word Four years ago today, the Avs won a game. Because just in case you forgot, uh, that team sucked. And the one we have now very much does not suck. So, don't expect me to bring up in January ever again another win. Just, a, just as a heads up, they did not win a game for the rest of January. But now moving on to our Around the NHL segment, I wanted to do something a little different today instead of just discussing some headlines from around the league. I wanted to make my predictions for each division in the upcoming season like I did a few episodes ago with the West Division, but just with the other ones. And while these are not the same division names anymore i don't even re i don't even remember what they are anymore the nhl sold the the naming rights for the division a few days ago i think one of them is honda the one for the canadian division is scotia scotia bank i know that and i think the one for the avalanche in the west division is the honda division and i i just straight up don't remember the rest and i'm not going to call them that i'm not going to call it the the honda division i'm going to call it the west division and I'm pretty sure everyone else is going to do that too. So, anyway, I'm going to make my predictions from 1 to 8 for each division 
and just quickly go over the ones I made for the West. Not going to go into any detail about that because I did an entire 90-minute episode on that already. But starting with the East Division, number one, I have the Philadelphia Flyers. Number two, I have the Washington Capitals. Number three, the Boston Bruins. And at number four, truthfully, out of all of the rankings that I did for this, this is, I think, the hardest one. Picking between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders for that final playoff spot in the East. And ultimately, I went with the Pittsburgh Penguins to take that final spot over the Islanders simply because I'm just not ready to count out the Pittsburgh Penguins quite yet with Sidney Crosby and Malkin. And I know technically they didn't make the Stanley Cup playoffs last year just because of the weird format and everything and them losing to the Canadians, but I still just have a hard time picturing the playoffs without the Penguins, but I'm also don't see them finishing ahead of the three teams ahead of them. I could be completely wrong, but I just think they're a bit deeper than the Islanders. I think the Islanders, I mean, yes, they did go to the conference final last year. I know know that's going to be brought up, but I think the Islanders did end up getting worse this offseason. They did lose some players and didn't really do a lot to replace them, which, I mean, it's, it just seems to work out for the Islanders that they rarely add players to the team, so maybe I'll be completely wrong about this. But I have the Penguins finishing fourth and the Islanders finishing fifth. Below them, I have the New York Rangers in sixth, the Buffalo Sabres in seventh, and the New Jersey Devils in last. And the Devils is the one I feel the most comfortable about because this East division took me probably two hours just to sit down and just even write the names down on my computer because I have no idea how this division is going to go. I know I just said that I have the Islanders outside of the playoffs, but I can also very easily understand how the Islanders would also just win this division outright. I can see the difference between first and fifth in this division, basically winning the division and missing the playoffs, being maybe four or five points and the teams two through four in the middle I mean it can it can be a single win that separates having to play the division winner or having home ice in the first round it's this is very very close and I know that the Islanders always take it personally when people have them outside of the playoffs no I struggled a lot with it and it's not by a lot. If I had to make point predictions, I'd have them missing by maybe a point. Just And I could also see them comfortably making the playoffs as well and having home ice in the first round and everything like they did a few years ago when they surprised everyone after Tavares left. But just as of right now, they got worse. They, they did have their struggles during the regular season. Last year, they went into the season pause, losing seven straight. So they're not invincible. If they get to the playoffs, they are definitely a problem to be dealt with. But this division is just really close. And and by the way, I could be completely wrong about the Islanders missing the playoffs just because they might win one more game than I'm expecting them to, and that could push them into second or third in the division. And with Philadelphia winning the division, basically my mind just goes right to Carter Hart and how I think he's going to have a spectacular season. He was excellent last season. He was excellent in the bubble. And, I mean, the Flyers have flaws. Definitely they have flaws, and I don't think they're a perfect team by any stretch, but a lot of the teams coached by Alain Vigneault, who took over as the Flyers coach last season, have a lot of regular season success. So this doesn't mean I'm predicting the Flyers to go to the Final Four, out of the East Division. I'm just predicting them in the regular season to get the most points. And basically, I'm basing that decision off of Carter Hart for right now. And just the Flyers have a lot of depth. They have a solid defense. They have a solid offense. And just a bit more balanced. And goaltending, I think, is going to be the difference. And I think the Flyers are going to see an emergence from Carter Hart this season. And that's why 
I have them at number one. And I think the biggest wild card here is Boston. Boston, they might win another President's Trophy this season like they did last year, or they could miss the playoffs entirely. I wouldn't be surprised at either one because they have that insane top line of Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshawn, but their depth got exposed badly in the playoffs. And they had a rough offseason. Yes, they signed Craig Smith for more offensive depth, but they lost Tory Krug, and that hurts. And they lost Zdeno Chara, which is... Yes, he's 43, but that was your captain for a long time, and just unceremoniously leave like that right before the season starts, that's got to feel like a punch to the gut. And they're going to be missing Pasternak, I think, for a month into the season, and Marshawn's status for the beginning of the season is still up in the air. So they can they can stumble out of the gates, and it might be tough for them to recover, even if they bounce back towards the end of the season. In a shortened season, every game matters that much more. And if the Bruins get off to a bad start, it might be tough for them to recover, because even if Pasternak and Marshawn come back all cylinders firing, the rest of the team might just not be good enough. And I'm not overly impressed by their defense right now. But moving on from the East to the Central Division, which is really just the biggest mishmash of teams out of any division here. At number one, I have the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, even though they are missing Nikita Kucherov. Number two, I have the Carolina Hurricanes. Number three, I have the defending Western Conference champions, the Dallas Stars. And at number four, I have the Nashville Predators, and that would be the end of the playoffs there. Tampa Bay versus Nashville, Carolina versus Dallas. And outside the playoffs in the Central, I have the Columbus Blue Jackets at five, the Florida Panthers at six, Chicago Blackhawks at seven, and the Detroit Red Wings at eight. You know, and now that I read that out loud, Chicago might be terrible this season. I just don't know if they'll be worse than Detroit, but they are now missing Taze, and now they're going to be missing Kirby Dock, and they, they have no goaltending and no defense. I mean, this season really is shaping up to just be Patrick Kane and his band of merry men, and I think that alone could push them ahead of Detroit, but Detroit had a pretty good offseason, and there's no way they're going to be as bad as last season. It is statistically impossible for the Red Wings to be as bad as they were last season. Even if they did nothing this offseason, it is impossible for them to be as bad as they were last year. But I don't know if that's enough to even overcome any team in front of them. And Tampa Bay at number one, even though they are missing Kucherov, they still have a very solid team there, and if Stamkos is back even at just 80% of what he usually is, that's still a very effective player. Braden Point growing for another year. Andre Vasilevsky in net. Victor Hedman, who in my opinion is the best defenseman in the league on the back end. And just really, I don't see a lot of teams that could really give them a huge scare in this division yet. I think Carolina could give them a run for their money if they continue to grow at the pace they expect to, but... Carolina does need to have a big regular season and really prove that they are Stanley Cup contenders and not this young uppity team anymore. And they have Sebastian Ajo, they have Svechnikov, they have Taravainen, and they have a very strong defense, but they, it just needs to all come together this season. And Dallas, yes, they were the Stanley Cup finalists last year and the runner-ups for the Stanley Cup. They are a year older now. They are still dealing with a lot of injuries from last playoffs. I believe Tyler Sagan is still going to be missing significant time, and Ben Bishop is going to be missing some time still. And I didn't even know this until recently, but I saw that Anton Hudobin might be missing some time as well. So they might struggle with injuries a lot this season, and that sucks for an old team because even when they do come back, a lot of those guys are not going to be the same anymore. But they do have... A lot of talent. I, you, you can't go to the Stanley Cup final without talent, and they still have a lot of it. Miro Heiskinen, man, Miro Heiskinen is really good, guys. He's really, really good. I could see him winning the Norris this season. Maybe, maybe not this season, but 
In the next three years, I could see Heiskanen winning the Norris. Number four, Nashville. I mean, last year was tough for them, really tough. And they didn't do a ton this season to get much better. And until recently, I had them outside the playoffs behind uh, the Blue Jackets. But they made some moves recently that I think pushes them over the edge to sneak into that final spot with re-signing Mikhail Granlund and uh, bringing on Eric Halla. And this this team had a significant down year last year, and I think a lot of them are due for a bounce back. Matt Duchesne is definitely due for a bounce back. He just had a terrible season last year. Victor Arvidsson, if he stays healthy, he'll be great. Roman Yossi won the Norris last season. I think we'll see a lot more UC Soros starting in Nashville and just see a lot more better goaltending than what we've seen. It's just, I don't see them being Stanley Cup contenders, but if they can bounce back, there will definitely be a problem in that central division. And Columbus, I mean, very good team. They surprised a lot of people last year after losing Panarin and Bobrovsky, but they just don't have a lot of talent to me that suggests they would make the playoffs again. I mean, obviously, with a, a Tortorella coach team, they don't need a ton of talent. But And now with the Dubois trade rumors that he doesn't really want to be there and that he wants to play on a bigger stage and everything, I, I worry about the kind of effect that can have on a team during a season. But if they do have something going for them, this could be really one of their last shots with this older core. I mean, this is Dubinsky's last year, Felino's last year. And they signed Miko Koibu to a one-year deal, David Savard's last year, and a lot of contracts expiring after next season as well, including Domi and obviously recently signed Dubois, Boone Jenner, Seth Jones, Wawrenski, Dean Kukan. Both their goalies will need new contracts after 2022. So, I mean, that could motivate them to find another level. And I don't think this Blue Jackets team is going to be at all bad. I think the difference between them and Nashville is very, very thin. But this team's getting old, and I worry about what a distraction of having your centerpiece guy like Dubois want a trade. And if he's even going to get one at all, that could be hanging over them for the entire season. And if it does, if he does get traded during the entire, during the regular season, then what do they get back? Will it make him better? Will it be a future move? Just too many questions about the Blue Jackets for me to comfortably put them in a playoff spot. And now moving on to the NHL's most interesting division, the North Division, a.k.a. the Canadian Division. Number one, I have the Toronto Maple Leafs. Number two, the Edmonton Oilers. Number three, the Calgary Flames. Number four, the Montreal Canadiens. Number five, the Vancouver Canucks. Number six, the Winnipeg Jets. And number seven, the Ottawa Senators. I know what I was just saying about the East Division and the margin between one through five being razor thin. The margin between one through six in the North Division could be razor thin, especially two through six. It depend. It all depends on Toronto and just how good they are this season. Because they could, if everything comes together for the Leafs this season, they could be one of the best teams in the league. But they could have been that the year before and the year before that, and things just didn't work out that way. But maybe this is the season it all comes together. So I do have them in first. They improved their defense a lot. They added some more depth, and they've got to do something this season, man. They've got to do something. They can't lose in the first round again and again and again. They've got to at least win a round this year. They can't, and they. I think they have to win the division as well to for people to take them seriously. They should be better than teams like Edmonton, Calgary, and Montreal, and even Vancouver for that matter. For the amount of money that they pay for their players, absolutely they should be winning this division. Number two, Edmonton. I think they added a lot more depth to go along with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And when you have those two guys and you're in a Canadian division, I have a hard time putting you outside the playoffs. 
I think in addition, like Kyle Turris was great for them. I think having Jesse Poyarvi start to make the NHL full time will also be great for them. And I don't like their goaltending at all. And I think their defense is going to suffer a lot, but their offense, if McDavid and Drysaddle continue at the pace they're on and get help from the guys around them, they could be the most lethal offense in the league by a long shot. Calgary at number three, I'm not sold entirely on the Flames, but they did make some solid moves to get Jacob Markstrom and to get Chris Tanev in the offseason, but I think this is Calgary's last chance to do anything because if they bow out in the first round again or miss the playoffs, that's going to be it for Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan in Calgary, and I don't think anyone will be overly upset by it. I think if there, if it's a failure in Calgary this season, I see a I see a rebuild coming on there. Just Gaudreau and Monaghan and probably a lot of their guys out the door. Number four, Montreal. Everyone's the hot pick to be better than everyone expects. They made a lot of moves this offseason. They got to Foley. They got Jake Allen. They traded for Josh Anderson. They traded Max Domi for they traded Max Domi for Josh Anderson. They got Joel Edmondson on the back end. Alex Romanov is supposed to come up and start playing. And they do have a lot of depth now, but I do need to I do need to see it from them in a regular season. I do have them making the playoffs just because Carey Price and Jake Allen could be a great duo, and I like how their depth looks. I think they could have a lot of scoring, even if they don't have a true superstar quite yet on offense. Their center depth is a lot better with the emergence of Suzuki and Kokaniemi. And still having Shea Weber lead the way on the back end, I think, will be great for them. I think depth and goaltending is the difference here over a team like Vancouver and Winnipeg. But like I said, I see this being razor close from 1 to 6. If if Toronto pulls away, then 2 through 6. I think potentially even closer than the East Division. I could see the difference between 2nd and 6 being like 4 points. Because Vancouver... They have Elias Pettersson, they have Brock Besser, but I just think they might be due for a step back this season. That's a shame, because I like Vancouver, but they have a lot of tough money on the books and everything, but they are still a very, very, very dangerous team. If Thatcher Demko is, if Thatcher Demko is even 50% of the player he was in that Vegas series where he was stopping every puck he looked at, they're fine. They're golden. They will make the playoffs in a walk. And they have Braden Holtby to back him up now. We'll we'll see what Holtby still has left. He wasn't great in Washington last season, but maybe in a, a tandem role or potentially a backup role, he could be a lot better. And Winnipeg, I'm just disappointed by the Jets. Because even after they lost to Calgary in the qualifying round, I pegged them as Stanley Cup contenders for this upcoming season before the offseason, and then they just didn't do anything. They didn't get any help on defense like they desperately needed to. They got they got Paul Stasny to help out with their center depth, but that was kind of it. And so if Connor Hellebuck doesn't stand on his head again this season and walk to another Vesna, I just I don't see it from the Jets. I mean, and Connor Hellebuck might just do that. He was absurd last year, and in my opinion should have gotten heart votes, but... If he can't, this Jets team is just kind of screwed. They need more defense. They just do. And the line A rumors and everything, just... It's a shame, because this team, they should be Stanley Cup contenders right now, but it just it didn't work out for them that way, unfortunately. And to finish up, just quickly run through the West Division. Colorado, number one. Vegas, number two. St. Louis, number three. Minnesota, number four. Arizona, five. Anaheim, six. San Jose 7, Los Angeles 8, Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis. Those are the teams to watch in the division, obviously. Those are three of some of the best teams in the league. I mean, even St. Louis, who I have in third, I'd put them in first in the East Division. I'd have them going head-to-head with Tampa in the Central, and I'd probably have them ahead of Toronto in the North Division as well. So... Even if that's exactly how it turns out, St. Louis alone could be a Stanley Cup contender at third. And Vegas and Colorado, I mean. Obviously, Colorado needs no introduction. I talk about them enough. But Vegas is 
very much an equal to the Avalanche, even on paper this season. That's going to be that's good. those are going to be some very fun matchups to watch, even if the rest of the division underneath them isn't as entertaining. But that wraps up some of the division predictions. Went on a little longer than I was expecting them to, but I just I love talking about hockey, so that's just how it goes sometimes. But that's going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It As It Is. If you have a question you'd like to have read on the show, send them to our open direct message inbox. I would love to start doing a Q&A sometime in the near future. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time.